When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana and you're listening to the Mall Over Codpost. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Mall Over podcast. The only regular podcast gives all the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action or with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mall Over Podcast. All over of your podcast on Facebook and all of our podcasts can be found on Anchor, Apple Pods and lots of other podcast establishments. Uh, we're back after a week away. Uh, apologies for last week, uh, although I don't know why I'm apologising because I don't really care. Um, I was in Ipswich, which incidentally is an absolute shithole, like proper shithole. It took six and a half hours to get there and... I don't think I've been to a worse place in my life and I've been to Basra. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll let you conjure up whatever image you want of Ipswich. Um, but so to me, what, it's less good than Basra. What was what was worse, wandering around Ipswich trying to pimp broadband or wandering around Knightsbridge trying to pimp broadband? <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to pimp broadband. <laughs> Incidentally, when I went to when I went to a switch, it was actually to a to a meeting. But uh, why it, the, equally, wh- why the fuck would you hold a meeting in Ipswich? Well, it's That's where just the height of selfishness. A, yeah, we've got a um, we've got like a test site, and um, it does. It's a place where we do all the um, breaking strain tests of breaking strain to cables and network That's what, and stuff. That's what a six-hour drive from here. Uh, six and a half. On a oh, yeah. It's it's three hundred plus miles, and it's the road. Before I get get too boring, the road, the A twelve, um, is horrific, a horrific piece of road that goes from um, sort of north north London ish up past Colchester up to Ipswich. Just a, just a shit road. Um, well, I hope everyone's enjoying the flyover podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. Well, and you've already heard now, so. Um, if to introduce ourselves, uh, for those of you that have not listened before, um, and I think we might have some South Africans tuning in, so welcome. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not going to enjoy it, but you know, stick with us. 
uh, will be as balanced as possible is the housewife's favourite um, and everybody's favourite farm vet, Phil Elkins. Welcome. Hello. And the nicest man in Cornish rugby podcasting, um, Ben Eustace. How are you doing, Ben? I'm good, thanks, mate. Good. Uh, I hope you're both well. Obviously, we weren't here last week. Um, as I've mentioned, I was in Ipswich. You lot couldn't be asked. So it uh, seems like nothing gets done without me anyway, does it? So, Well, Doug, Doug was at the darts and um, Ben and I have done a, a two-person pod once before. And as much as uh, Matt Ball likes it, I don't think either of us particularly enjoyed it. We need some form of leadership. We need a rudder. <laughs> <laughs> need a rudder. You need something. But I enjoyed your, your two-handed pod when you when you did it. It was good. I I the problem was I quite enjoyed it, but the, the thing is me and Phil are definitely the, the most boring two out of the four of us. <laughs> so it's like comparing shades of beige though. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of like two shades of beige. Just uh having a chat, whereas uh you and Doug are the primary colours. I mean, more Doug than me. I'll I'll say some stupid stuff, but you know, yeah, Doug Doug will be. Uh, you know, we're sorely missed. Apparently, apparently the lensman's not very well. Um, he's not in bed with his sister, so he can't be that sick. Come on, <laughs> I don't even know where he's got <laughs> <my> sister. <laughs> But he's not very well, so he's not. He's it's, not going to be making this. It's the way you tell him, Russ. I know. Yeah. Well, I'm a week out of practice, aren't I? So, you know, and I'm also concentrating really hard, so I don't say a specific word, and I'm going to go through the whole podcast without saying it. Um, we've had we've had some correspondence, uh, Guy from Crediton, uh, Guy Courage. I hope the recovery's going well. Hope your recovery from your ankle injury is going quicker than Phil's. Because Phil reckons he's eight and a half weeks in since he twisted his ankle and uh, he's still not right. But I bet I bet Guy's nearly back playing. Oh, probably. He's he's probably younger, fitter, better looking, just all round better bloke than me. Um, so we'll heal quicker. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, agreed. Um, he, he said, uh, he's asked some, some questions that we might or might not get onto later on the podcast. Is One, where is Razzy hiding? Um, He's not hiding anywhere. He's on Twitter, uh, getting absolutely <laughs> with, a, with a new burner account. With a new burner account, we'll come on to that. Um, how excited was uh, Untamak after the game on on Saturday? We'll also co- come to that. Um, who is running a book on Russ's use of a certain word that I'm not going to say? Um, who are now the number one world for fans being the one eyed salty? Now that uh, replacing the one eyed salty bastards. And is Elvis living in Cornwall? I mean, I don't know where that last one came from, but you know, we'll we'll maybe get we'll maybe get through these. And uh, M Holbs, who's a longtime listener and Saracens fan, he has said that he can't wait. Okay, oh, almost, almost uh, figuratively speaking. <laughs> so I know we uh, we got I got to mention. Um, from our friends on the Egg Chasers who think that they've broken me by the last podcast that we did where I, I literally... <laughs> <laughs> That's correct, though. You literally couldn't stop saying literally. I, I know. I, I, I didn't want to say it at all for the whole podcast. Um, and I stopped myself before I said it. 
actually, didn't I? I kind of started it, but I didn't. Um, anyway, let's move on. So I'm not even thinking about it. Let's talk about England, South Africa and England's uh, wider autumn internationals as a whole. Um, starting with the game on Saturday, just how good a performance was that, Phil? Um I would say that was a 7 out of 10 performance. And the reason I say it's a 7 out of 10 performance was because for the first 25 minutes, they were 9 or 10 out of 10. It it started and it ended fantastically, but in the middle, it, it all kind of went a bit to pop. Um, and they lost the ref and they completely lost the flow of it. And I suppose... What was really encouraging was in those those outer edges at the start and at the end, they were playing a game, a different game to what we saw the Lions play against South Africa, to what we've seen lots of other teams play against South Africa, to what we saw England play against South Africa in the World Cup final. They were playing a game that was based around shifting the ball relatively quickly, as quick as Ben Youngs can, 10 to 15 metres wider at least, and then playing a bit of heads up rugby and seeing what's in front of you. And that's that's effectively what led to Tuolangi try. That's what led to um, to the to domination and pressure at the end. That's what led to us going in to half time with a with a decent lead. Um, but for some reason, in the middle, and I think it's probably because we started getting beaten up by their pack, we went back to playing slow one pass. Uh, single phase rugby, running one fa- one hard runner at two people who are set and are going to smash you backwards every time, and it just it, it didn't work, and it was never going to work. We that that England team are never going to be big enough to take on the the South Africa twelve or eleven South Africa pack nine, ten, and twelve at, at a physical game based around ten meters away from a from a fate. It always had to go wider. And when they went wider, it looked fantastic. When they stayed narrow, they looked like schoolboys. Um, and, yeah. Uh, do, you think, do you think, with that in mind, it's demonstrated something with regards to... During the Rugby Championship, Australia beat South Africa by getting the ball out in towards Dialende and, and Am and beyond and as as an as much of an amazing center partnership as they are they're quite cumbersome and their maneuverability when you start running at channels beyond them left them lacking a little bit obviously ball in hand they're electric but they don't get tested often defensively because teams struggle to get the ball wide yeah, 100%. And um, and actually, what a lot of teams end up doing is running at Dalende or at Am. They they stay relatively tight together. Um, and actually, when when England got got some, some mileage out of it, it's either because they're going outside Am and highlighting a bit of, uh, bit of a lack of movement there from him, or when it was stretched a little bit and that gap between Am and Dalende opened up and then hitting that gap in between. Um, but yeah, to, to me, there was a bit of a worry there in terms of a lack of leadership on the, on the pitch. And I think the, the tide turned really when, when they saw 
how easily the South African front three were humping us in the scrums. It wasn't even close. And they kind of went a bit into panic mode. And there was a real lack of leadership on the pitch to go, calm down. Let's stick to what we know is working. Let's shift the ball out wide. We start losing lineouts, losing scrums, giving away penalties. And nobody really seemed to know how to change that until some substitutions were made. Um, and I suspect it was more a case of the substitutes coming on, not having those old patterns to revert back to, rather than the substitutes that came on having any particular kind of um, game awareness. Actually, I know what the turning point was. The turning point was Johnny May catching the mark and then knocking the ball on straight away afterwards. And, yeah. and the, the game started going to pot a bit there for England. They lost their heads. Um, and it is a bit of a concern of me. And I think that's half the reason Owen Farrell ends up playing is because he can show some kind of leadership. And you look around the rest of it and you go, is there any, are there any natural leaders there? I don't know that there are. Ben, what would you think? Um, uh, well, just to, to sort of answer something Phil said, I'm not sure most teams, maybe the Lions accepted, go into a game with South Africa thinking, I'm going to get into an arm wrestle with the biggest men in the world. Um, but I think they're very good at making it into that kind of game. Um, and, and that's what they managed to do from about, I don't know, half an hour on maybe a little bit earlier than that. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, again, England with Tuilagi is a different prospect to England without Tuilagi. Um, you know, I know it was only eight minutes, but they looked pretty fluid with, with him in there because, you know, he was holding defenders in, in the run-up to his own try. There was one carry he did where he made about, six inches but it took three defenders out of the line to stop him and yeah. again I think I think without him they're just that that whole back line is just a little bit lightweight um but they did a very good job of as you say getting the ball wide and when they were able to do that they cut South Africa up quite well um and you know as well as as what you guys said they also I think they identified that Am like charges out quite a lot tries to cut off um, they do that. They do that outside blitz defense, don't they? Yeah, and but they, you know, they very often use um, Faf to do to do that as well, which they obviously didn't have that option. Um, but I just, um, I just think seven out of ten is about right from, from from what Phil said. I think England played really well for chunks of the game, and at other times they got a bit owned. And I think if it had been a sort of one-off game in a World Cup, I, I, would, I would imagine South Africa probably still beat us. I mean, we seven, were a couple seven of... Seven times uh, out of we, ten. We were a, a Pollard penalty and a Stain penalty. Well, it were, as it turns out, either of those kicks at goal away from losing the game, weren't we? Um, yeah, but, you know, that's games the same do change game. on things like... Yeah, of course. But, you know, you, you'd have to say that... Um, Johnny Hill probably had his best game for England. Slade probably had his best game for England. Um, we'll probably rave about Stewart, and me and Russell probably compete to rave the most. But that's the biggest test he'll probably have, and he came through that with flying colours. Um, and I thought Malins came on and looked really good. Malins, um, Malins is a <laughs> here's here's a thing, right? It's slightly different. 
But Malin's is a better Elliot Daly than Elliot Daly. You know, as as far as if you're going to have, if you're going to play that versatile back in the, in the 23 shirt, right? Maybe Malin's isn't going to start every game on the wing. Like he tried to make Elliot Daly do it or at fullback for that matter. But he is the ultimate utility back that could start in any one of those positions in any game in a horses for courses type scenario. And you wouldn't quibble. But also, he's probably best suited to coming off the bench in that in that twenty three role. I think that's fair. I think I think Daly is uh, a good player, and and his struggles at fullback kind of mask that he is a he's an excellent winger and centre. Um, but Malins is even more versatile, isn't he? Because you, you wouldn't blink if in an emergency you put Malins at ten, whereas if you were putting Daly at ten, you, yeah. You'd be having issues with that. Um, the 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 bit of play he did where he cut across the pitch oh. when he was covering and 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 scooped that ball up and then put it was nearly a fifty twenty two, wasn't it? it yeah, it just just Very, yeah, bounced, just short. rolled out short. But I mean that was that was a real highlight. And and you know I would be leaning towards starting him on the wing rather than this sort of centre idea that he has. Well. Uh, I I don't buy into the whole centre idea at all. But uh, just to finish the the the, the mailings in the twenty three show, he allows you to do a six two split without having to have Farrell and Ford on the pitch. Yeah. Um, and I don't think anybody else in the game does that. I've been fairly not down on mailings, but I've I've said historically I don't see what everybody else raves about him. But I think that's because I've been trying to see him in one position. Um, and he's probably the second best in every position, which is perfect from the bench. Absolutely. And you think, like, he made that tackle when he held... Um, oh, that was brilliant. Uh, yeah. Quagga Smith up over the line. Um, he reads the game. He, what I see from Malins is that he reads the game really well. And we saw that a lot for Bristol last season. I know, you know, he can... He can play in all those positions on the bat line. But like Phil said, having that flexibility, and it'll bring me on to a wider point in a little while when I talk about England moving forward, is England could pursue a more direct approach with their bench by having someone like Malins on the bench. The same way that they could do it with Noel, but I think... Malins is a better rugby player than Noel in general. I think Malins is a better rugby player than Daly in general. Maybe not as quick across the ground, but I think he probably reads it better. Like as as far as you know, when the people used to say about yeah, let's let's say Teddy Sheringham or like the footballers, where they just say he's just got a footballing brain. I think Max Malins reads a rugby game as well as anybody I've seen in recent history. Maybe yeah. that's a bit of a big call, but I, I think, I think the way, the way he pops up, the way he appears, you know, you saw it for Bristol last season when he was playing fullback, playing 10 on the wing, it sent it like, it doesn't matter. He, he just, he knows where the, he always seems to know where the space is and he always wow. seems to know where to put himself. I assume you're talking about just English players, Russ. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. 
I, th- I think that's fair. You know, uh, you know, maybe not the best, but no. he's up there um, I mean, he's, with, with English players. He's had um, Alex Goode and Owen Farrell and Elliot Daly and Liam Williams and all kinds of class players to learn from. If Absolutely. He wasn't, if he wasn't half mm. decent, and then you know what, he he is fault. almost he is almost every bit of all of those. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can see that. And uh, you know, and I'm not. I've not even got onto my major um, rave about a player segment yet. You know, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still warming up. Um, and obviously, Malins came on early on Saturday because we lost to Alagi when he went off with the hamstring injury, who looked so good, like not just in that seven minutes or whatever, but physically. We've been saying it for weeks how lean he looks, how strong he looks, how fit he looks. And then with heavy strapping on his hamstring, you could tell he wasn't right going into the game, but they probably thought it was worth the risk. But with Malins coming on, it enabled England to to play in a slightly different way. And I think the South Africans thought that there was going to be a weakness. As soon as Tuolangi went off, I think the South Africans thought that, that England were going to maybe go into their shell a little bit when actually it, it probably helped England a little bit because they knew they probably had to go a little bit wider than they were planning to go anyway. And that leads me on to Freddie Stewart's try and Freddie Stewart in general. Now, those that those the, the people that listen to this that are, that are involved in the, um, the ex-Fantasy Rugby Draft from All Over Invitational Twitter group that we've got will know my feelings and Ben's feelings on, on Stewart. Now you bought Freddie Stewart up first, Ben, many of quite a while ago. And you're saying this, this kid's pretty special from watching him. If there is another player that's going to play fullback for England for another 10 years, he is going to have to be absolutely unbelievable because Freddie Stewart is six. What is he? Six foot five. With his foot, with his skill set, his strength, his aerial ability, and his ability to run with the ball, almost the the perfect specimen of fullback. Then, yeah, yeah. I mean, without heaping too much pressure on him. Uh, no, I'm, um, no. I, I, he's uh, not going to. He's not worried about my not pressure. Me. Not worried about my I, pressure, Ben. I mean, I'm sure he listens, but. Um, in my vaguely old school rugby brain, that's how you build a fullback. And I would say the only thing he probably lacks is like sparkling pace. I don't think he's the quickest, but that is very much the pot calling the petal black with me saying that. And, you know, for me, the key thing is how secure he is under the high ball. And, you know, I think last 10 minutes, a couple were spilled, but they were under real, real pressure. They were, you know, less than 50-50 balls. And the very key one at the end off the kickoff, he 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 had that until he was upended. Um, I just think... you he might not be the type of fullback actually Eddie Jones was planning to have. I think he had one like that with Mike Brown and then he was going to move away from it and perhaps 
Daly or Malins was more the kind of player he was looking at. And then, and then this has just come sort of almost out of the blue. He's got this youngster who is too, is too good not to play. Um, and, you know, he's probably now looking around to, to try and find a sort of sort of second plan of attack, which is maybe why he's experimenting with the centres and experimenting uh, a little bit elsewhere. But I think he's, he's then got a cornerstone because he doesn't have to then worry about a fullback that's going to spill the ball or be out of position. And um, like you say, he's a big old unit. I mean, that, that finish was a, was a bat row forwards finish yeah, really. Absolutely. Um, and you know, uh, you know, I just, you know, he's, he's, spe- I'm, he's I'm, special. Freddie, I'm your biggest, I'm just, your biggest fan, Freddie. Just to, just to temper this a little, <laughs> little bit. He did drop a couple of high balls on Saturday. And the, and you and it, so, one of which one of which I expected him to take, but so that's probably because I've set a high standard. Fair, for fair enough. There. But full, but I mean, we had this we had this discussion the other week that we fullbacks will drop. Oh yeah, yeah. Players yeah. Will he's, drop not, he's not perfect. That's what, all I was saying. What? He was he was pretty much perfect till the last ten minutes, wasn't yeah. he? There was the one where one of the forwards tripped over in front of him and and sent him flying. And but until then, and they got and, a little bit more pressure to him, didn't they? Just a they, little bit. Their, their substitutes actually kicked better than their first choices for once. Yeah. Um, and, and, and they were very difficult kicks to take. I mean, you know, he, he, he wasn't, the, we've said already, he wasn't the only player to have a good game and, and, and we shouldn't make it sound like that. But I just think um, if, if you have a very solid 15 that you can rely on and, he, and he's not, you know, he's not a dead weight in attack. He, he's a good player in attack. He scored two tries in, you know, his first two games against proper opposition. Um, it allows the rest of the team just a little, little bit more freedom to to do do their own thing. And the forwards have got a little bit more confidence that they're not going to be trudging back for a, a for a scrum and at scrum. the wrong time. Yeah. And they they've got a bit of confidence if they turn to that he'll stay on his feet just long enough them to get there especially if you and get it, pulverized in the scrum as well which yeah, happened exactly. second half. well they were i mean they were already going backwards at quite a rate of knots so they would probably get there quicker so um so yeah I, I think it's a real plus for england and and you know not the only one from the um you know from from the from the um three games you know i think it, it, it's become obvious that um they should be using simmons as a as a as a sub I think, you know, still not getting in, against, still not getting enough minutes. I don't think. No, but I think I think what happened against Australia shows, you know, what he could do in a broken field if he's got fifteen minutes. I thought I thought Laws has played really well. I'm not a huge fan of his at six. You know, I've, I've been clear on that, but he's playing really well, so I can't really argue with it. What do you make of him? And, what do you make of him as captain? I, I'm not a huge captain person i don't think it matters that much um i've, I've said before my, my vote would be a toje because he's nailed on he's always going to play and he's got captaincy experience um but look laws is probably always going to be in the side if he's fit as well he, he's either going to be at six or five so you know he's not a bad shout to be honest and he's an experienced player um I don't barring, know how much of 
barring like the Chris Robshaw England Wales game, cap I don't think captains really ever make that many big decisions. It's about talking nicely to the ref. And I think it's probably more important what leadership there is in the group as a whole than who's got a little C next to their name. Yeah, agree. Like, could, you can make Tom Curry captain. Wouldn't bother me if you made Tom Curry captain. He's he's nailed on to play if he's fit and he can speak nicely to a ref and he's not going to make a stupid call to try and kick a penalty from 75 yards. And we, we have discussed this leadership group in inverted commas before and if you've got enough people out there then it doesn't really matter who's on the pitch somebody no. tossing a coin and speaking to the referee um what they needed on saturday was somebody to go can we stop doing this one out runners and let's go back to taking it another 10 15 yards wider so whose decision is that do you think that's do you think that's on marcus smith so let, let's talk a little bit market about marcus smith um obviously you played uh three well he didn't play against uh tonga did he, he came off the bench he then um, started against Australia with Farrell outside him and sometimes Farrell inside him, for want of a better phrase. Um, <laughs> and then Sunday, Saturday was the first time that he's been the main man, the one to run the, to run the show. How do, you, how, do you think he, how do you think he coped then, Phil? I think on the whole, he did well. There were patches against Australia where he was put under pressure and scuffed a few decisions. There was patches in that middle period against South Africa where he kicked at the wrong time. And, and my, my experience is that it's generally the 10 that makes a call, whether the backs want it or whether to keep it in the forwards. Now, the question is then whose call is it if it's keep being kept in the forwards, whether it's off nine or off 10? And again, my experience would be the 10 calls that. And if that's the case, then, yeah, he should probably have been trying to drag them out wide. But equally, he's, what, 22, 23? He's, like, he he needed an experienced person in his ear to go, let's go gold instead of black or whatever the calls are. Um, and probably the person, I don't know, you've got somebody with 100 caps inside him who... who should be uh, clever enough to, to realise that when he pops it to a forwards, he's having to run back five yards to go and get the next ball or go back 15 yards for the penalty. Um, but so on the whole, I'd say Marcus Smith showed the kind of promise that he needs to show. Um, and he's got a couple of years now to get himself sorted for the World Cup. That's what it's all working towards. By the Six Nations, he'll make fewer mistakes and feel a bit less pressure. By the next Six Nations, he'll be he'll make even fewer mistakes, and hopefully by the World Cup, he'll be running the games. Um, but that that would be my only criticism: is when the pressure came on, as it did from both sides, he wobbled a little bit. Um, I think but, that's fair. I mean, he won't have a much harder day than Dialende running straight at him for eighty minutes. No, and actually, um, I don't. I don't think defensively there's any concerns there at all. He'll he'll throw I, his throw his body in the way, and he'll make some tackles, and some people will fall over him. It's it's more about that when the opposition have the ball for eight minutes, and then you get it. What do you do then? That that kind of instant decision making that I think just needs a bit of refining. That's all. I mean, you can't I, doubt, I think, you can't doubt his vision or his skills. 
I think I think England did quite a good job actually, and it's probably uh, credit to Eddie Jones, which we we stopped giving several years ago. Um, <laughs> that they they didn't put too much on his shoulders. Um, obviously, the first game you had Farrell, um, so that was always going to happen. But they kind of used Henry Slade a lot, you know, as, as either first receiver or the actual playmaker. And it it it, it was just like you know. If Smith's on it, you know, what is he on four caps, something like that, it would it would be a big deal just to make him the sole decision maker in that bat line. So so using Slade as much as they did was a was a smart move. But actually, when it came to the crunch in the last 10 minutes, um, Smith kind of took it over a little bit. You know, it was his chip that um, you know, was was really accurate, and that led to Khaleesi's yellow card, which which I thought was pretty harsh. Um, and it was also his run. Where he beat a couple of tackles <laughs> that 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 won the penalty when uh, Stain slid in. Come and, and, knee, and I, knee I, I him thought, in the back. Yeah, I thought that one could have should should have got a card, and he he was quite lucky not to get a red card for that. Um, it was pretty reckless, so, wasn't it? A bit silly. Yeah. So I think you know when they needed Smith, he actually did step up and and produce a couple of decent bits of play and, and obviously he had to knock that kick over which he which he nailed so um you know I think definitely uh, a, a sort of positive result of his two and a half games for sure yeah. so you made you, you did mention him there um and we mentioned him earlier on Henry Slade possibly is one of his best games in, a, in an England shirt stepping up early after um Tuolangi went off putting Marchant in that gap for the try. I mean, when you watch, when you watch that reverse angle where he's looking at the line and then give, he gives both Dialende and the other defender, the eyes, and then pops Marchant through that gap. When people talk about the job that Owen Farrell does at 12 for England, where he is that, that second distributor. Do you think Henry Say potentially offers a little bit more or a different threat than Farrell would from that same position, Ben? I think it's it's different. I, I think he suffers from having the thing we've mentioned before, where, where England almost had four playmakers at one stage with Daly, Farrell, Ford, Slade. Someone then has to do you know, be a, be a and, blunt, and, blunt. And, and Slade was trying to do that, which isn't quite his game. I think what you've got to remember with Farrell is for all his faults, there isn't many current players that have a bad word to say about him. And I think, you know, he's got a lot of strengths and he's, he, he, he will be playing once he's fit again, but Slade, what Slade offers different is he is, more of a running threat. So he's going to fix defenders more than Farrell will. But he's also a very clever, you know, distributor, passer of ball. We know he's got a big left foot. Um, so it was nice pro- to see him. I think he's I mean, it's got the a, same better, size as- a better pass than Farrell. Yeah, probably he does. Although Farrell is underrated in that department. I did or, genuinely or better, think they were going to say... A better long pass than Farrell. Yeah, because it was I his long pass originally that set the breakup for the Malin, two Langley. Set Malin's away. I, I was, I was, yeah, I was going to 
mention that. And and also it was his pass that put Malins away for the um, yeah. Stewart try as well. Yeah. That was a that was a beautiful pass. Um, I, I did think Phil, you were just going to be really pedantic and say his left foot was the same size as his right foot, but <laughs> no, uh, no. Mine, mine are different <laughs> sizes. But um, yeah, I, I think I, I mean it's unfair to say. It's clearly his best game for England. I can remember a game in Dublin where he, we played out the yeah. skin as well. But, you know, it, it's very much up there. Um, and, and as I said, you know, I thought that was also Johnny Hill's best game for England. Um, and, uh, you know, March showed a couple of, couple of little touches as well. So, again, you know, there's a few people in credit, certainly from the last game. Um, I think there's a few people who we might not see too much in England shirts again. So that's interesting, Phil. Um, I was going to come on to some people that have been in for a little bit of criticism. One of those is Sam Underhill. He's been given some criticism for his performances this autumn, not as standout maybe as, as he has been previously. Um, uh, would you I count? Think, um, I, no, I'm not uh, saying that he, he's, he's <laughs> one that is not going to play again because I think that's a ridiculous thing to say. But he has he has come in for some criticism. No, I I find that slightly surprising to be honest. I think people who've criticised him probably haven't been watching what he's been doing. But um, he's agree. He, he does he does the dirty horrible work that nobody else wants to do, um, and does a lot of it and does it very well. His biggest problem is he's constructed entirely out of marshmallows. But, like, for, for me, um, that game from Johnny May, that, that, was, that shows it's a game too, too far, really. I, don't, I, ne- I didn't see him do anything really constructive or positive. Um, and he looked a bit of a liability. But we all know what Johnny May is capable of. I just don't think he's delivering it anywhere near it at the moment. And there's lots of people knocking on the door. But for for me, the, the big standout was um, Bevan Rod at Loosehead. So I know people were very positive about him after the earlier games. And ultimately, yeah, he did pretty well against Australia. But he was propping at Loosehead against a Loosehead playing tight head. Propping against James Slipper, who is not a tight head who came out of it with everybody going, oh, you're all right at tight head, because he's up against somebody who ultimately looks underweight and scrummages like he's underweight. And he got absolutely crucified, absolutely marmalised in the scrums, which meant that you didn't get to see any of the rest of his game. Um, And the likelihood is if, um, oh, what's his name, Tui the Australian tight head was playing the same would have happened against Australia but he was out with concussion if they're playing against New Zealand and they've got Alan Alalalalatoa playing the same is going to happen there go up against Argentina probably the same is going to happen there go up against Tyg Furlong the same is going to happen there so uh, unless he spends a lot of time and a lot of pharmaceutical aids getting himself into the, the position where he's not underweight. I, I can't see him playing for England again. Um, my gut feel is Nick Dolly might go the way that Luke Cohen Dickey did after his first game, where he couldn't hit a single person in the line out and disappear for a couple of years and then come back when he can throw appropriately. Because each one of those, yeah, Etzabeth and, and Diago are very good in the line out, but every single one of those ones. That, that he lost 
it was a bad throw. It was either too late or too light or too low, and then one overthrow. Um, and he didn't really do much else to to impress. Um, I thought Lamar actually showed enough promise to to kind of hang around. The bottom line is Jamie George and Luke Heron Dickey are fit. Neither of them get anywhere near the squad. Um, at, at any time between now and the next fair, week. Fair. Yeah, I think that's true. And and what um, the the lad that started, I'm not even going to try his name. Um, what he's Lamar, got in his favourite. Yeah, uh, is he seems to um, he seems to have a bit of luck on his side. You know, he's oh, yeah. gets in the right place for tries and stuff. So it's always handy to have about. And I thought I thought he handled himself pretty well in the in the game. You know, Dolly. Uh, you know, to his credit, as you say, wouldn't be near the team if if everyone was fit. So you know, you're looking at your fifth or sixth choice hooker there. So you know, maybe it's understandable that he had a bit of a wobble. Um, the one thing I would say for Rod is he's a, he's he's a young player, so you know he's got time to come again. Um, but he certainly had a more difficult day at the office than he did um, on the Saturday before. One one thing that I I thought was uh, was a little sad was when when Marla came on, there was a massive cheer, and uh, I naturally, as as a man of my age, assumed it was for Richard Hill who was stood next to him. <laughs> <laughs> But it was actually for uh, for, for Marla. But um, but I yeah, mean, it's I, it's going to be Genge, George, or Karen Dickey, and I think probably Sinkler if everybody's fit. Um, but I mean, I've yeah, I, I I wasn't overly impressed with Sinkler to be honest. Um, I think he concentrates more on his little tip off passes at the side of a ruck than he does the the uh, nuts and bolts. And he's he's got that classic thing. And um, I won't mention any names, but you could you could probably name half a dozen Yuki that are like this. This classic thing of when they get pinged for a penalty, standing up and looking shocked after they've been bent in half. It's the, it's the, like, jo- the Johnny the Johnny Bairstow <laughs> LBW look. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, whereas I think Will Stewart does a does a decent job and potentially is a bit better than him in there. But I think no, Will Stewart is a is a is a decent prop who is perhaps hurt by his association with that monstrosity that's the backpack. Well, but yeah. Will Will Stewart is this two year cycles Ben Moon, isn't he? Yeah. The unfashionable scrummaging prop who doesn't really offer too much around the pitch, the the the, the likes of Sinclair and Genge and does all the flashy stuff that other people do, but you put him in that scrum and he's like a, a movable object or or was for a period of time, um, and never really got the credit that he deserved. I don't think. No, correct. Um, and there's one all the time. You think you think back. You think even back to, you know, that 2003 side where they had Vickery, but then there was also like there was Julian White. Trevor, but there was also Trevor Woodman. Trevor Woodman, yeah. That nobody ever remembers Trevor Woodman. Tre- but, Trevor Woodman really could play though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, was, absolutely. But you but, know what I mean. But where, the, 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 the Six Nations before that, they were without Vickery and Woodman, and you had yeah. some real sort of random names coming through and playing prop in the first couple of games of the, the Grand Slam. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until, I think, the Ireland game that that the England team actually looked like the England team we all remember. Yeah. Um, but, 
Um, what a ta- I've gone off at a tangent there. Ben, ben Youngs, that was the other person who I, I think has really failed to impress these, these three games. He has a good game every half a dozen games where the speed of delivery is lightning and he makes the right decisions and he kicks well. Generally, his kicks have been too long and uncontestable. Um, his speed to get the ball off... The, well, he's, he's half a second late to the rucks which means that he then has to get there and look where he's going to pass. And then the ball is off the ground for half a second longer than it needs to be. And he just slows everything down. And when you, when you get that, and then you get Rafi Quirk for 15 minutes and you go, oh, that's what a scrum half supposed to do. It's, it's now, totally it, chalk and cheese. Now, I don't, it, think, I don't think I'd start Rafi Quirk. I think you want someone, someone kind of halfway in the middle, somebody who's a good decision maker, not saying Quirk isn't, but a solid decision maker with lots of experience to start with and then Quirk coming off the bench is perfect. Now, now here's a thought for you. How about starting... Danny Kerr? Well, I, I was going to go exactly the opposite direction. I was going to say your best <laughs> kicker, who's Spencer, yeah. and then uh, using Stewart to chase box kicks because then well, you I could think... just fit Malins in at fullback and Just and slot then... across, then you've got a proper back three. Yeah. I, think, I think Ben Spencer probably would have got a go this autumn had he been fit. I genuinely think he probably would have done, but he's well. It, it just depends if 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 Eddie if Eddie's got any regard for him at all because he doesn't really seem to. So maybe he's just happy with these youngsters, which you know they've scored quite a few tries between them in these three games because you know Mitchell did Mitchell get one or two against Mitchell Tonga? Got, I think. Yeah, a couple. No, one he got um, one because one of them got pulled. One back. and one disallowed, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and Spencer's twenty nine. Yeah. Mm. That surprises but me. It does, but like if you're thinking towards the next World Cup, 29, 31, knows his game, solid performer, yeah, yeah. like it, it makes sense. But equally, like you might go with imagine a, a scrum half trio of Mitchell, Randall, and Quirk. Quirk. I mean, yeah. madness. Madness. Um, okay. Well, any any more any more for any more on England this autumn? You know, do you think? What do you? We've we've won we've won all our games. We've beaten Australia. We've beaten South Africa. Um, we've learned a few things about a few people. We've made some really good discoveries. You know, again, Ben, you're right. We've got to credit Eddie Jones to a certain extent. You know, what he's tried has worked. Um. Uh- I think it's all looking generally pretty positive, to be honest. You can't can't be too negative about winning three games, including against world number one and world champions. Um, I mean, South Africa brought their best side and they played pretty well and ended up losing by a point. So, I mean, we, yeah, got to be pretty happy with our lot at the moment. And we're we're learning a lot more in the Six Nations, to be honest. If I'd switched my Amazon Prime off at seven o'clock on Saturday night, I'd probably be pretty hopeful for the Six Nations, but I didn't. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we can come on to that in a minute. Let's talk about Wales, Australia for a little bit first. Um, we, we didn't mention too much about Andrew Brace's performance in the England-South Africa game, which I genuinely thought was okay for both sides. Um, I... You know, I thought he was okay, but I thought he was needlessly fussy. fussy. Some of the penalties he gave were so borderline. He could have just... Yeah, fussy. I thought, I thought that... I, 
like Phil's informed me I'm wrong that Underhill's. I didn't think there was anything wrong with Underhill's, and Phil's informed me I'm yeah. wrong. I, I kind of <laughs> watched it again, and and they they kind of form a ruck, but then they both kind of fall over. So and and I, I the the I biggest issue with was... the biggest issue with Underhill's technically it was wrong. The biggest issue was the refs a yard away from him screaming "Let go, let go, yeah or no." And whatever he was doing, he was saying it loud. And, and Russ, and Russ, I played with you in the past. I know you definitely ignored him. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I thought he was pretty good. I thought he got he got all of the scrum penalties right, which is unusual for me to agree with the ref on that. I think he got the card spot on. Um, uh, and I suppose I'm not having is, Khaleesi's. Khaleesi was going for the ball. It, I don't care yeah, well, what he was going it for. Doesn't mate. Matter. He took he took him out in the air that, but the, inter- the interpretations of the law now state that even if you are going for the ball if you're not in a realistic position to compete for the ball you have a responsibility to keep it safe and he was never in a realistic position to compete for the ball I, I think he just lower. got he got, got, got penalised for not being able to jump very high well yeah the, but that's but that's, that's for whose fault that, that, well that's the interpretations of the laws at the moment that's and that's the way it is my and, I know, I know you're saying this as a fullback who can't jump very high, Ben. So <laughs> my biggest, my biggest gripe about it all was or is the inconsistent. What I don't want is referees to give a penalty at every ruck, which they probably could do if they're fussy enough. Um, a la Andrew Brace. But what I also want is what I'd rather is if they would pick if they were if they were going to just set their stall out early in the game and take one facet of the ruck or a couple of facets of the ruck and say right and start and try and stamp it out early and just referee a specific area of it because if players are constantly sealing off like. The, the penalties that, or the amount of rucks, and this kind of leads on to the, the Wales game, the amount of rucks that South Africa just sealed off in that second half, just sealed off, sealed off, sealed off. No penalties, no penalties anywhere near. All the while, while the momentum was with South Africa at the scrum. So it seemed like, I think there were 10 penalties against England in that second half, or it was 10-0 in a row for penalties at one point. Um for England against South Africa and they were scrum penalties and it just seemed all the momentum was was with South Africa and when teams get into that position referees unconsciously enter into this well this team is struggling it must be them that's causing the issue so it must be a penalty it must be a penalty for the team going forward regardless of players flying off their feet sealing off like it's madness and and this very very thing happened at the end of that wales australia game and i I thought um adamson had an absolute shocker for the for the whole game if i'm honest um you can't really argue the red card it was you know it was that head-on-head Contact has, has been a red card for a little while. Valentini, I know ben, are you talking here. Rob Valentini, yeah, I know yeah, you. I'm, what, I know I'm, what you're going to say. I'm going to argue it. Well, I don't think you can. But go he on. had so 
Valentini was going in for a tackle and he moves his head to the right. He, to he was in the wrong position, Phil. He moves his head to the right and Adam Beard moves his head to his left. There, there was enough grounds there that if the ref wanted to mitigate and say that his body's in a decent position to tackle and what's happened is they've both moved their heads to the same side, he could have mitigated it down to a yellow. Equally, he could have given a red, which is what he did. Now, I, I'm going to argue that whichever way you call it, a yellow or a red, you're, you're going to get a decent chunk of people that are going to be annoyed with the decision. I, I disagree. I think he was in a poor I, position. I don't think he. I don't think he made enough of an attempt to get lower, and I think he tried to tackle with the wrong shoulder on the wrong side, which led to the head-on-head contact. Ben, well, Russ, I'm going to say what you knew I was going to say is that the ref was right under the laws. I think it's unfair that people yeah, yeah, are getting yeah. red carded for not being very good at tackling. Because as Phil's going to say, I'm a fullback that's not very good at tackling. So. <laughs> I wasn't, but, <laughs> but you. But I. But I'm. I'm with you on that. I don't want to see people get red carded for that because it's a genuine. Uh, when people are swinging arms at people's chins, yeah, uh, exactly. It, it wasn't. It wasn't a dirty tackle. He just got it wrong. And 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 I was talking to uh, Lloyd in uh, Bucharest uh, on on the night, and and we were talking about how if a tackle looks bad, it probably is going to be bad. And that one didn't really look bad, um, you know, at first glance. And, and you know, Beard was quite badly hurt, uh, you know, at least like superficial damage. And, and he had to go off for a, a concussion, I think. So, you know, obviously that some of that result was factored into the decision as well. Um, but I, I don't blame the referee. I just think, uh, you know, I think it's not to my taste that someone is getting red carded just for cocking up basically a margin marginally at speed getting it slightly wrong no i i agree i agree with that entirely by the letter of the law they're saying that that's now a red card i think that's what's what's wrong with it it could have been quite easily a yellow card you got it wrong you know you need to be punished but the red cards i know we've said this before red cards should be reserved for like malice for when you can like when you can definitely see that something's you know like deliberate foul play you know yeah like you know what we've all seen hundreds of times see, yeah yeah but you see Lava, less and thomas less. thomas lavanini oh that, that guy yeah that exactly. guy missed a walking yeah. red card yeah i mean i mean the one he did was it in the world cup where he just sort of that was against england wasn't yeah, lie across Nathan Hughes's leg. I mean, that was, yeah. and you know, that's the kind of thing where the the, the framework doesn't bother looking into because yeah. they're never going to get sued for that kind of thing, so they don't really care. Um, but you know, that was far dirtier than you know what um, Valentini did on yeah. on Saturday. Yeah, but yet we'll have the same punishable outcome. I mean, I did find a bit of an irony, Peter Romani calling him a dirty cunt. <laughs> um, it was kind of delicious, but anyway, the back to to Mister Adamson yeah, yeah. and Wales and Australia. I mean, I thought Australia were actually really impressive, even after going down to fourteen men. Again, they could have sort of capitulated in the, in that second half when Wales started to get on top. Um, 
What what do you make of the belting try? They did. They absolutely did. What do you make of um, that Nick Tompkins try? Every everybody stopped, including Nick Tompkins. Did it go? Do you think it went backwards? You happy with being backwards? Yeah, I don't think it did go backwards, but everyone should have kept playing. And and Tompkins, to his credit, does look at the referee and go, "That's gone backwards," and the ref agrees with him. So, you know. I mean, he does swing as he swings his hand. He is he's bringing the ball back towards him. So, Curtly Bill was so asking for a yellow card. Nick Tompkins got lucky. No, yeah, and oh, that's yeah. all it is. Yeah, he he got, got lucky. He got really lucky. Really lucky because but, it was exactly uh, the same movement that um, that Bill did. Uh, Curtly Bill did yeah. earlier in the game, but but because he he just got there slightly earlier, it bounced either straight down or backwards and and he yeah he got really lucky but you know what do, what do you tell your under sevens russ well i, I, I could barely i could barely tell him to catch at the moment mate or run yeah, forwards. but you know but come with your shoelaces rugby, tied up <laughs> rule one of rugby isn't it play to the whistle so so yeah, yeah you can't you can't really uh uh you know have too much sympathy there there were some some of the younger Australians I was I was really impressed with. I was looking forward to watching uh, Valentini, to be honest, because I've heard good things about him. I was really impressed with a, the combination of um, Paisami and Ikatao. I thought they were really good. That Paisami looks very very good, and I've already mentioned um, Ikatao from the Rugby Championship. So I think you know Australia are, they're moving themselves towards a much better place. I think that they've been in the doldrums for a little while. They're starting to come out the other side now with with some different players and a different way of playing. I mean, they still need to find themselves a 10. Uh, James O'Connor is is not the one for them at 10. He's he's a bit of a stopgap, isn't he? Like, because there isn't yeah. too many others at the moment. Um, Nick White makes that side tick. I think you know yeah, he's he played really well, isn't he? Yeah, he was superb yeah. Exeter, and he was, um, you know, he's he's doing well for for Australia. Uh, as far as Wales are concerned, um, before, how... before we analyse Wales, can I just like before we move off from the, the refereeing side of it, that Welsh score at the end, yeah, there was probably ten or twelve consecutive rocks with at least three Welsh people diving straight off their feet over Correct. the top that like schoolboys could pick up as not being right. And the ref didn't call it a single one of them and then called a marginal offside to give a penalty. It was, it was the worst bit of refereeing that I've seen over these entire autumn internationals. If, if anyone was to come out and say there was some alleged match fixing <laughs> in that game. Not that there was, right? And I don't think Mike Adamson would have done oh, not Mike Adamson, but I don't think Adamson would have done it purposefully, right? And even consciously. But you could tell. But like, check his bank account. You just know, just if you just watch that last passage of play, when when Wales make that break, they made the break down the touchline. And Australia got back and you could see like you could see. And this is what I talk about momentum. Wales had their Wales had their tails up because they were trying super hard to get that ball back quickly, which meant that they were arriving at the rucks at pace. 
And when you arrive at a ruck at pace, a lot of the time, just by sheer physics, you're going to end up off your feet and going off your feet straight away. And if you watch, Australia weren't even competing at the ruck because they didn't want to give away a penalty. Yet Wales were flying in, trying to clear out people that really weren't even there. And as you yeah, say, I mean, he then gives a, a, a marginal offside call. I mean, if, he's, if they're offside, they're offside, right? Marginally or not, that doesn't bother me. But when Wales are fly, when, when Wales are flying into the rucks, the same way South Africa were, when when that momentum starts to hit, referees just because the roar of the crowd goes up, and because like it's almost like they get swept away on a wave of uh, like a wave of oh look at this team they're they're attacking they're clearing out yeah. the quick ball and it's and the ball's coming back quickly and they're thinking right this is what people want to see it's a quick game it's like completely missing the players flying off their feet well it's like um, you say russ like every every breakdown there could be a penalty so uh, you know that they get probably caught up in it which i don't know is is understandable i mean one thing to mention in all of that was what what a great break that was by um by gareth davis yeah um you know that was pretty clutch and you know it's not the first time he's done something like that um and and once they got into the 22 you know they were always going to win but it was harsh on australia because to play that long with with 14 or 13 for quite a long time they um they played so well um and like Kirtley Beale has the odd complete disaster in him but he is a really good rugby player yeah um and and you know he's not quite as old as I thought he was when he, when when we were watching the England against Australia game we all decided he was about 35 but he's not quite that old <laughs> but uh, um, <laughs> didn't, but, um didn't he start as a as a 10 or a 12. He's always been they, that 10, 12, 15. Like, he's never really they, had a position, has he? Well, I think he's more of a fullback now than he ever has been before. And I think that's probably what's made him. Go, comes to, us, think comes to us all, Phil, as you get a little bit older, you have to sort of... I'm, I'm working my way out there, yeah. Um, I, got, but, I got put there at 50. <laughs> yeah. But sh- I think shifting him further out, I think, has been the making of him. I think he was it was a bit like Danny Cipriani when he first came on the in, on the scenes and just trying to do everything yeah, too, a bit too in, hard in more ways than one as well. But um, literally, yeah. But I think yeah, I, I I think that is his best position for sure. Hundred um, percent. But but you know they've still got a utility back really at ten with O'Connor because O'Connor started on the wing, so you know that they can't win either way there really. Um, well, well, as Russ said, that's that's Australia's problem at the moment is they yeah. don't have a turn. Yeah. Okay. Um, some some positives to Wales though. The likes of uh, Wayne Wright, uh, Tane Basham has been very good, uh, and also Ellis Jenkins. I know we mentioned but, him. Well, that's the plus side for them is getting him back. You know, yeah. you know Basham's been really good, as you said, and and but but getting Jenkins, who was brilliant before he got injured, back looking like he, he is you know, himself is, is an absolute bonus. Considering they've got the likes of Navidi and Falatau and um, Moriarty, Tipperich, you know, it's, it's a, yeah. a real area of strength for Wales. Um, we've been rabbiting on quite some time. Should we talk about France, New Zealand for a little bit? I, ben, I think we should. You mentioned that um, 
you you had relative high hopes for the Six Nations right up until about eight o'clock on Saturday night. Um, I mean, just how good were France? I mean, let's let's put any, everything aside and and eulogise over France for a bit because from one to fifteen, I thought they were absolutely magnificent. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and <laughs> and, and, and probably down to twenty three as well. Yeah, well, you know. yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know where to start. You know, probably probably Intermac because they just look electric with him there and and his try was just a brilliant dummy um and and you know we prop i mean let's get it out of the way i mean that that run from his own line was <laughs> but he was he was millimeters away from being i can't remember who it was who was it george cross who yeah. um uh, sorry george bridge Rich. that nearly snagged him in the in goal area and now, every time that, that happens they beat the, the the defender uh, or the defensive player, the one, the guy that's picking the ball up, beats the first guy. Looks like he might get out. Gets dragged down by the second one, yeah. but somehow he got out. And then the best part of the whole thing was the pass to the outside as he stepped inside with no look. Yeah, round the back uh, uh, or on the scissors, uh, which was the point at which um, Benjamin Kaiser actually exploded on commentary. <laughs> um, he was making some noises, my money. Yeah. And, and isn't he brilliant? I mean, yeah. he's, he's, he's very good as well, but you know, if, um, the second row, um, who was brilliant. Wookie. Wookie. Yeah. If he'd have just managed to get in, I mean, that would probably try the decade, you know, it was, yeah. it was um, unbelievably good play. Um, I thought, I thought he was close to. Was he man of the match? He might well Cameron have been. Cameron Wocky. Yeah, I thought he was. He was, he was incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, Dupont. We expect it of him. There was one stage where he arrived in support, hit a ruck, and held two or three All Blacks off somehow. Yeah. Um, I thought um, the back row in general was brilliant, but Aldrich Aldrit. is just a menace. It's like a like a bag of weasels you know try to bring him down and and when Dante wasn't kicking I thought he was brilliant as well but you you know we know Penno's a great player but you know again he showed up and and I think it's Penno Penno used to be Penno used to be he was the the one that people used to worry about wasn't he He was like oh Penno he's Hmm. he's and now they've got Villiers um Unt- like Villiers, Untermac. I tell you, the guy that, that surprised me the most was uh, Jaminet. The fullback. Yeah. Yeah, he had because a good game and he, ki- he kicked really well as he well. He kicked excellently, both positionally and, um, and from the tee. But he was really active in attack as well mm. to create that space for Penno, to create the space for Untermac because he was getting involved. So... One one thing that stood out for me was um, if you, Russ, when you're playing ten, if you if you spot say a second row and then a, a back outside, you're probably looking at what a they're both four, quicker than him. A four, a four, <laughs> you're probably looking at what a four or five meter gap to go 
I'm going to cut through that gap inside the, the back. Yeah, I mean, I've not when, played 10 when I've had the ability to go through that for quite no, a few years, but, but yeah. When when Rico Ioanni did it with Wokey and Villiers, the gap was oh, probably oh, oh, oh. two and a half, three metres. Mate, that was but, something else. But, but when Ntamak did it for his try, for, and who was it? Was it Whitelock and I don't know who the who the back, it might even have been Ioanni as, as the back. There wasn't even a gap between them. They could have held hands in the middle. Yeah. That, and there was that just... try. That try was right out of the 1970s. Yeah, it was a it was a little fly half just poking himself through oh. a gap. Yeah. His eyes went one way, or, his hips went yeah. another way, and his body went straight. And yeah. yeah, um, you know, I I don't think this is the best All Blacks team we've ever seen. No, and a Geordie Barrett. I've seen enough of him now that I don't believe the hype. He's the, um, he's the second best Barrett. Oh, yeah, for sure. Probably the um, third. Well, no, well, yeah. I don't know. If you're, if, you're in a, if you're in the Barrett family of high quality ball playing backs and you get picked as a second row, that says something, doesn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and we didn't do a podcast last week, but, you know, Ireland were absolutely outstanding when they beat them as well. Um, but, you know, I don't think you can say enough about France. Can you? It was just... You know, you know who else I was impressed that, with is uh, Cretan when he came on. Yeah. And he was he was supposed to be one of the next big things. And he got, he's been out for quite a long time with, a, with an injury, isn't he? And... I wondered whether that would kind of stall his um, his development, but he was like when when he came on, you know, when you, the mark of a good side is when the replacements come on and there is absolutely don't really notice zero yeah. transition. But but what well, I think actually what should be said about that game is that France, you know, completely battered New Zealand in the first half, but then New Zealand scored, I think, three tries. Yeah. pretty quickly and they were getting on top although france was still doing some good stuff they were it, it, it almost looked inevitable the all blacks were gonna like come back into it for, for probably 10 minutes and then that run from behind his own line yeah just completely tipped the momentum again and you know they kicked a penalty off that and then once the interception went in New Zealand looked shot to pieces. Like Mackenzie came on and you thought, well, maybe, you know, he's an electric player, maybe something will change. But it just continued to go downhill. Um, and there was nothing that any of these players coming on could do to stop it. Because, and, and, and also, and, and it's no surprise because, you know, why wouldn't it be with, with a game like that? But the atmosphere in that ground was, was unbelievable. Yeah. Um, ten, 10 minutes in and they were all absolutely bouncing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, com- I commented to uh, to Mrs. Farm Vet that like you you don't see things like that at rugby matches ever. Like the entire stand just moving up and down as yeah. one ten minutes into a game. I I meant to mention it actually. Talking about crowds, there was a guy at the he, the camera picked him up going to the toilet or the bar or something at the uh, Wales Australia game who is wearing a Union Jack blazer. Amazing. And, and I just wondered... Which, where, where can you buy them? <laughs> well, no, I, want, I wondered who he was trying to appeal to in that crowd, the Australians <laughs> or the Welsh. 
that he had a natural home with I mean, either set of fans. It really, sounds like an awesome, an awesome thing to to put a stag in. Let's go to yeah. our Wales Australia yes. dress him up as an Englishman. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, that that crowd in Paris was uh, was 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 something else. And um, uh, yeah, I've I've got a friend who's in Paris at the moment. He lives out there, and I, I was like, "Tell me you're there." <laughs> but uh, he, he was like, "No, I, unfortunately, I went two weeks ago." But um, yeah, Super. brilliant game. It was, it was brilliant. Talking of international rugby, you mentioned Lloyd in Bucharest. Do you see Romania beat Tonga 32-20? That's a great result. There were, there were a couple, weren't there? Um, uh, Georgia, oh. Fiji, 15 all. We don't, we don't really mention Scotland and Japan, 29-20. Um, yeah, um, Uruguay gave Italy a really, a really tough show by the looks of it. And... Yeah. Um, now I'm, I'm assuming uh, Chile, Chile, Chile I was going to say Chile, Chile okay. beat uh, some someone with a bit more of a higher reputation. I couldn't remember who it was, but yeah, Russia sounds about right. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming we're not going to talk too much about the Ireland game against Argentina. Not really. But I didn't, I didn't watch it, mate. Other than no, Lavanini. I haven't watched any of the Ireland games. I'll be honest, but looking at the score lines, like really impressive autumn series for the Irish. So I think we could be in for a bit of fun in February. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I didn't see all of the game against New Zealand because, um, because I, I was playing that day. But you know, watching that game, it wasn't one of those games where a team plays out of their skin and then holds on by the skin of their teeth against the All Blacks. They, they Deserve. beat the All Blacks fair and square. Yeah, they they were the better team. And when whenever you looked up at the screen, you know, up at the screen, they they were the ones on the front foot. They were the ones attacking. And and although the All Blacks scored a couple of really nice tries, they were all over them. And um, you know, you you can't take anything away from a performance like that. Um, and and by all accounts, Furlong is is back re- back to his absolute best. Um, you know. It's going to be a very good Six Nations, hopefully. That's all we can um, hope for. Competitive, yeah. with good games, where, like, I don't mind, figuratively speaking, England losing by playing well and being beaten by another team that's playing really well. You can wear that, because that's I mean, not sport. It's, dis- it's disappointing, yes, but I can appreciate it. There's, yeah, there's a big, there's a big difference, difference between yeah. being disappointed because you've been beaten by a better team, but you've done all right. Yeah. And some of the matches we've had in the last eight years where it's just been abject. Yeah. You, so, know, you know those players in that setup are capable of giving so much more. Yeah. But, I, but I don't want to lose a game between now and October 2023. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, yeah. I mean, it, England are away to the Blues. So yeah, yeah, they've got all of the uh, teams that play in blue away. So <laughs> that's how we'll, you remember we'll leave, it. We'll leave. We'll leave you. We'll leave you to work that out for yourselves. That, that's how you remember it. They've either got all the blues at home or all the blues away. But um, okay. yeah, pa- Paris is going to be interesting, isn't it? And yeah. Murrayfield, you think? Yeah, depending but, um, on the weather. What, one last thing on that get game, press, press passes for Paris. 
um, doubtful. Mm, worth a try. Podcasts aren't classed as press well, anymore. Well, they might be in yeah. France. <laughs> I mean, chances are even less. I was, the, one the last podcast. thing I was going to say on, on, on refereeing, um, you saw the difference between uh, a confident, well-established referee and the others uh, on Saturday because um, there was a dust-up in every game that I watched and uh, most of the referees approached it like they did in the Lions game where they, as soon as something happened, they brought all the players together and, and told them off and no one wants to see it well, despite the fact that everyone does want to see it. Yeah. And if they see any more of that, there'll be yellow cards and, and there'll be consequences and you, you people need to behave and think of the children. In the France against the All Blacks game, there was a, a slight dust up and Wayne Barnes just called two players over and went, behave boys and let it go at that. And, you know, I think, I think that's a much better way to approach it. But I think part of that is because Wayne Barnes and he's like sort of um, Nigel Owens was, he's kind of comfortable in his spot. He's the, he's the, the elder he, he's, he's able, he's, referee yeah. now, isn't he? he he's not being uh, scrutinised to such a degree. And I think, you know, you do still tend to get the best games of referees that have that approach rather than, the overly fussy Jacko Piper type of approach. Stop it, Mrs. Piper. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Anyway, that, that's enough rugby. That we'll, we'll be back next week for, for more of that. Um, I believe it's prem, we're back to the premiership this weekend as well. Uh, four games on Friday night. Um, Exeter ver, uh, go to Bath. Northampton go to Bristol, Worcester go to Newcastle, and Gloucester go to Wasps. Interesting that there's four games on a Friday night. I wonder why that is. One game on Saturday, Quinn's Irish, and then one game on Sunday, which will be Saracens against Sale. Um, Obviously, all those games on Friday won't be on the television, which will be a bit annoying. Um, Are they they trying your (coughs) approach, Russ, and not not playing on a Saturday, or is there a much more obvious. I, I really don't know. If anybody does know why there's four games this Saturday, let us know. I, I wonder mean, whether I mean it's. It... I was going to say the the barbarians are playing Samoa at Twickenham, aren't they? But they're playing Samoa at Twickenham, and Harlequins are at home to London Irish. So well, that that's, negates any reason. I was thinking there. The following um, week, it's back to four games on the Saturday. So. Is it? Yeah. I mean, it, it makes absolute sense to have that many games on a Friday straight after an international weekend, but yeah, yeah, far be it from me. Yeah, exactly. Um, do either of you two have any other business? No, you don't. No. Fair enough. I mean, I've, I've, I haven't really got anything um, after spending 10 days I've, not in my own house. In my other own than bed. to say that Doug is being too soft. As standard, guy's an absolute wetting. But you know, far be it for me to say what he is and what he isn't. But uh, next time he's got some bollocks, maybe he'll come and join the podcast. Um, with that in mind, then thank you very much to you both. Uh, we'll be back next week, I guess, to chat about Premiership and anything else that's going on uh, in our lives. And we will speak to you all very soon. Go well.
Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.